0: I want to first apologize a little bit for my voice. It's uh, not normally this crinkly. I don't know what else to call it. Uh, My doctor this last week told me I should have virtual quiet. And like many of you, if you came home, if you're married, and the doctor told you you weren't supposed to talk, somebody will probably pepper you with questions. But I've tried to be as quiet as I possibly can, so I just apologize a little bit for my voice. I am normally pretty loud. Well, we're going to take a look at God's Word today, particularly a section of what we read, or what was read before by Ken, from Luke chapter 17. And I I want to ask this question to begin with. Do you know what word was among the first recorded words of Jesus? Some of the first recorded words of Jesus. Well, the word is repent repent. Mark's gospel, which was written first among the four, and right away in chapter one, it says that Jesus came preaching the gospel in Galilee, and then he sums up Jesus' message in Mark 1.15, repent and believe the good news. So Jesus came preaching repentance now, when Peter preached his very first sermon on that Pentecost Sunday, it's always kind of interesting, you know, pastors talk a long time. Peter didn't talk very long, and 3,000 got converted. When was the last time a pastor saw that in his church, huh? When was the last time he had 3,000 baptized in one Sunday here, Tree of Life? Some churches probably couldn't count 3,000 in their history. I don't know. But people, after they heard the sermon, said to Peter, you know, what should we do? And Peter says very clearly in Acts 2, 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. Now, my message to you this morning is that repentance is the heart of the Christian message. In fact, it is so associated with our message that whenever you see a kind of a Christian caricature, a cartoon of a Christian on television, you often see them holding up a sign that says what? Repent, for the end is near. Now we all know that repentance is essential to the Christian life. We know that when you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you need to repent. We also know that after you come to salvation, you get caught up in the sin, you need to do what? You need to repent. We all know that, but what does it mean to repent? Now, I'd venture that a lot of people, including a lot of Christ followers, don't really know what true biblical repentance is. And so today we're going to take a look at this little story in the Gospel of Luke that can give us some insights into what repentance is. But before we get to what repentance is, I want to talk about what repentance isn't. What repentance is not. Well, here's the very first thing. Repentance is not feeling bad or feeling guilty. Now, I taught school long enough to realize it also, probably I could add, it doesn't mean, I'm sorry I got caught. I mean, how many times have... Somebody said, I'm sorry, well, you might as well add the sentence, dot, 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 I got caught. Now, it can include some feelings of guilt, it can include feelings of regret, it can include some feelings of remorse, and that's generally where repentance begins. But that's not where repentance ends. There's a whole lot more than just feeling bad about your actions. Repentance leads ultimately to change. Now, when I thought about repentance, I always think of the prodigal son. And when I think of repentance, I, I think about somebody who changes his mind and then changes his direction. Remember the story of the prodigal son? He was on his hands and knees in front of the hog troughs, hog drop, thinking he'd love to eat some of that stuff. But the Bible says when he came to his senses, what did he do? He changed his mind And he got up, he said, I'm going to go home. He changed his direction. And some people are just content to just feel bad. At least a little while. I'm going to go to church today and repent for a little while. But then they get out of church and what do they do? They immediately yell at somebody. They lose their temper with their kids and they feel bad about it afterwards. But they know that the next time those little kids get on their nerves... They're going to yell at them again. Or maybe they're the kind of person who walks out of church and then they start looking at inappropriate websites in the afternoon. And they know it's wrong. And they feel bad about it. And they know that the next chance they get, though, they're probably going to go back to that website one more time. And they think, I really feel guilty about this. I asked God to forgive me. I repented my sin. But friends, again, repentance is not just feeling guilty. That's one thing repentance is, and here's another thing: repentance doesn't mean you'll never do it again. I don't know anybody ever made a call on a shut-in. You know what? Shut, do we have shut-ins in your church? Am I speaking a foreign language? Is my microphone on? If <laughs> I ever make a call on somebody who can't come to church, <laughs> I remember my very first church. It was a big church. It had 1,800 members. So we had a fair number of shut ins. And I remember going to this lady's house one time, and she told me, Oh, Pastor, you know the best thing about being old? And I said, No. She said, You never sin anymore. I said, That's one. It's called the sin of pride. Aha. Well, repentance doesn't mean you're never going to do it again. You're never going to get to the point when you do not sin. Now, some people think that if you truly repent of a sin, you'll never do it again. But I'm here to tell you, folks, that just plain simple isn't true. Sometimes we repent of a sin, and guess what? We fall right back into that sin in moments. Now, a few months ago, in our new home, I had television on, and I was flipping through it, and I got caught on a station with a televangelist. I will not mention this person's name, but what caught me was he was preaching a message on repentance and I knew that I was going to be writing a sermon on it because I write a sermon every week whether I'm preaching somewhere or not. And this is what caught my ear. This guy said, true repentance means that you abandon that sin forever. Let me say that again. True repentance means that you abandon the sin forever. Once you repent of sin, you will never repeat that sin again, he said. And I don't talk back to the television very often, but I, I, oh no, no, you're wrong. I mean, what kind of a burden, I should say, what kind of a pastor would put that kind of a burden on his people? Well, I gotta tell you, it was a, it was a burden that he clearly didn't live up to him, himself. Now, I say this, and, and I don't mean to be mean, but I'm trying to make a point. This particular preacher was wider than the pulpit that he was standing behind. Now, clearly he had issues with um, gluttony. How about that's a good choice of words. Gluttony that he had not completely resolved. And let's be honest, so do I and so do many of you. But I wondered, has he ever repented of that sin of gluttony? Because if he had, he'd be skinny as a rail. He'd be thin by now. Now, if you believe that once you repent, that, you're, that you will never ever repeat that sin again, then you ought to be a whole lot more perfect than you are today. You know how it works, though. You repent of your anger. Then you'd never get angry again. You repent of pride and you would never are proud again. You could repent of gluttony and you would never ever eat o- overeat again. You would repent of lying and you would never ever color the truth again. Right? No. We all know this isn't the way it works. We all know that we can't live up to that standard. And we're going to see a little bit later, repentance does eventually lead and ultimately to the abandonment of sin, but sometimes it takes a long, long time. Well, here's the third thing. Repentance is not making promises you can't keep. I've heard people say, I committed a sin and I felt guilty about it. So I told God that if He would forgive me, I would never, ever do that again. You know what? None of us has the power to make that kind of promise. None of us can say, God, I promise I will never, ever lie again. I will never doubt again. I will never gossip again. I will never be angry again. You know, we cannot make that promise because we can't what? keep that promise. Now, many people view God in kind of a strange way. I had somebody tell me one time in one of the churches I pastored that they kind of viewed God as like a spiritual collection agent. And they think that God was the kind of God looking around and when they'd fallen behind with the sin in their lives, God demanded that they do more than they could do to make things right That God demanded perfection and he wanted it when? Yesterday. So they make a promise that's literally not in their power to make. They say, God, if you'll forgive me, I promise, I promise, I will never, ever do it again. And when they cannot live up to that promise, then what? They feel guiltier. They feel more in despair than ever before. That's why I say to some people, have you ever read Romans chapter 7? Anybody know what's in Romans 7? I mean, you've got a Bible in your hands, right? What? Okay, I'll, I'll help you out a little bit this Sunday. Only this Sunday. Paul says, the good that I want to do, I can't do it. And the bad that I want to stop doing, I keep on doing it. Do you know how long Paul had been a Christian when he said that? He had been a follower of Jesus Christ for 25 years at that time. I mean, imagine, after 25 years as a Christ follower, he was still sinning. I mean, Paul knew that repentance wasn't about making promises, and he knew that when you repent, sometimes you're going to need to do it again. So if you feel that repentance isn't about feeling guilty, or being perfect, or making promises, then what is it? And how do we go about it? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's the second part of the sermon. Luke 17, Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us in verses 3 and 4, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day, seven times comes back to you, and says, I repent, forgive him. Now, we usually take this Bible passage and view it from the point of forgiveness. But I want to suggest to you that what we can also learn here is something about repentance. Jesus is telling his disciples how we should forgive. He said, do it seven times in one day. In other words, you forgive as many times as is necessary. If you read Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talks about it the same way. He says, don't just do it seven times. Anybody know how that goes? He said, but do it how many times? Seventy times seven. I thought as a kid, I thought, what, 490 times i got to forgive my sister? I mean, this is crazy. Well, you know, those are nice biblical numbers. You, You just keep on keeping on. But what I want you to realize here is what happened in this example that Jesus gives to his disciples here. This guy's got a brother who sinned against him. Don't know what he did, but he came and he said... I repent, I'm sorry. And then he went and sinned again and came to his brother again and said, I repent. And again and again this happened seven times and Jesus said, you need to forgive him every last single time. Now in addition to what these verses teach us about forgiveness, these verses teach us three very important principles about what repentance really is all about. Here's the very first one. Repentance involves admitting responsibility for your actions. I I wrote a blog not long ago. I said, America is one of the sorriest places in the world. Now, what did I mean by that? Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You bump into somebody. Oh, I'm sorry. You cut them off in a line. Oh, I'm sorry. We're sorry about everything. I'm not really sure that we're as sorry as we should be. See, it involves acknowledging that you were wrong. That's for sure. That's crucial step number one. Because many of us never, ever really get to the point where we admit that we are wrong. Especially if our sins are little Lutheran sins. Anybody here guilty of little Lutheran sins? Let me give you some examples of some of them. Some of you committed a crime this morning against the state on your way to church, a crime punishable by the law of the state of Texas. You were running a little bit late, and your foot got a little bit heavy, and you exceeded the legal speed limit. Oh, not those three or four miles an hour that you think everybody lets you get away with, but maybe seven, eight, nine, ten, or maybe some of you even have that wonderful little Lutheran device called a fuzz buster, or a radar detector so that you can break the law and not get caught. But it's a sin because why? We are bound to keep the laws of the governing authorities, but this is a sin that we rarely ever acknowledge. Well, Let me give you another little Lutheran sin. It's a sin that the Bible says is comparable to murder and adultery wonder what that little Lutheran sin could be. Like murder and adultery. Hmm. Well, maybe halfway between your car and the front door of the church, or halfway between Sunday school or Bible class and the church, you gave a bad report about another person. And it might have started with that little phrase, have you heard about? Now, the sin is called what? Gossip. And God despises gossip. And as I said, he actually equates it with committing adultery. He he actually equates it with murder. Yet some Lutherans, some Christians, some Baptists, some Presbyterians, even Catholics engage in that sin, and they never, ever think anything bad of it, and so they never bother ever to own up to it, And they never repent. Some people actually engage in the sin of condescension or pride. They let themselves think that they are somehow better than other people. And it's kind of an ongoing condition with them. I mean, some people engage in the sin of impatience. Or maybe even hostility or anger. And they say, it's not my fault, I'm so mad. You made me get mad. You had it coming. And they never acknowledge their sinfulness. And when they never acknowledge their sinfulness, what do they also do? They don't repent. Now, I'm not trying to beat anybody up here. Like, oh my gosh, bring in a guest pastor, he just beat us up all morning. I'm not doing that. Because we all struggle with some form of sin. None of us is perfect. I mean, if you ever had a perfect pastor, you guys must live in heaven. If I ever had a congregation that was full of perfect people, I would thank God I was in heaven. What I'm trying to emphasize is that God cannot begin to deal with our sin until we first acknowledge it. And this is sometimes a very difficult first step for many people to say, okay, I admit it, I was wrong. September the 3rd, 1989. A Brazilian airplane in the city of Maraba was preparing to take a short 45-minute Flight to the northern city of Beiling. The captain checked his computer-generated flight plan, but he keyed in the wrong number into his horizontal situation indicator, and instead of entering 0270, he entered 270. Now, when that plane took off, he followed the plan, or the path that it told him to take, but instead of going north to Beiling, he headed west Right smack dab into the center of the Amazon rainforest. Now, after about a half an hour, he realized something was wrong, but rather than cry for help or call for help, he just turned the plane around and started heading back east. Now, when the flight crew and some of the passengers began to ask what was going on, he decided to tell them a lie. He said there was a power failure in Beiling and he'd have to circle the area until the power was restored. Now, remember, that flight was supposed to take 45 minutes. Well, two hours later, the first officer finally identified the problem and told the, and and the captain finally said, well, I entered the wrong number into the computer. Well, and even though he had no idea where he was, he told the passengers he would land in about five minutes. Now, of course, they didn't land, Um, So the captain ordered a fresh round of drinks for everybody on the plane. And meanwhile, he started counting the minutes because he knew that they were slowly but surely running out of, not drinks, but fuel. Well, an hour later, this plane's tanks were completely empty, and the captain made a desperate crash landing in total darkness in the Amazon rainforest, in the dense tropical jungle Everyone on the crew survived, but 13 passengers died in that crash. And needless to say, they revoked that pilot's license, and he never, ever flew again. Now, when I first read that story, I asked myself, how many times do we also make matters worse by not just owning up to it, but instead lying about it? I mean, how many marriages in our country today fall apart because one person cannot bring themselves to say to the other one, it was my fault, I'm wrong. I mean, how many friendships fail because one person doesn't have the courage or the guts to say to somebody else, okay, I'll take the blame for this one. Or how many Christians literally get sidelined and are never really able to be used by God because they, they, they refuse to say, I was wrong. See, the man in Jesus' example got repentance right. He began by saying, I'm wrong, I repent. And that's where repentance begins. It begins with admitting responsibility for your actions. God cannot begin to deal with that, and, and he cannot begin to change us until we can actually admit our wrongdoing. Here's the second thing. Repentance involves seeking reconciliation. See, the man in Jesus' example kept coming back. I repent. He would say, I was wrong. I know it. I was wrong. I admit it. I want you to forgive me. I want our relationship with each other fully restored. And that's what we need to do with each other. And more importantly, what we need to do with God. What sin does is fractures relationships between human beings. But more than that, sin fractures our relationship with God. Now, repentance is not about getting over guilty feelings. It's about being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And we see in Jesus' example that God will forgive us. You know, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, what, if we... If we confess our sins if we repent of our sins he is quick he is faithful he is just and he will forgive us he will cleanse us from all our unrighteousness when we repent God gives us this heavenly embrace the Bible says he removes our sins from us and that he casts those sins into the sea of forgetfulness and then what God should do is put up a sign that says no fishing because sometimes we got to go back over and fish up those old sins every once in a while It says God chooses not to remember our sins anymore. That's because God desires more than anything else that He have a love relationship with you. The point of repentance is forgiveness that it leads to reconciliation. It leads to restored relationship. When God forgives you, and He most certainly will forgive you, He wants you to walk in fellowship with Him. He wants you to talk to Him. He wants you to worship Him, to live your entire day in His presence. And see, repentance is is about getting back into relationship with God. It's about seeking reconciliation. Here's the third and last principle about repentance. And, And get this one and you'll kind of master what it's all about. But it says repentance involves repetition. Now, remember the guy I mentioned who said, if you repent of your sin, you won't repeat your sin? It would be wonderful if that would be true, wouldn't it? And sometimes, thank God, it actually is. I mean, there will be times when you actually fall into a sin and you will repent and you will ask God to forgive you and the sin will be removed from your life once and for all. And you'll never ever have to deal with that one again. That's victory, and I think that's where all of us would like to live. I don't know about you. I like to live. I mean, I coached I coach high school and college basketball long enough. I learned something. Victory is a whole lot better than defeat, right? Or do you want to just live like a defeated Christian all your life, walk around, look like you're baptized in vinegar? oh woe is me. No, I want. You know, I want to you know, I'll live in victory. I want to live in victory. Isn't, isn't that? That's a song, isn't it? Victory in Jesus. Probably not a Lutheran song, but it should be. Victory in Jesus. But there are some times when we don't get that immediately. Sometimes getting over a sin is frustratingly long. You keep falling again and again, just like the guy in Jesus' example, just like Paul. And here's what I want to help you understand. If you have truly repented, you don't give up. You try again. The man in Jesus' example failed seven times in one day, but he kept coming back and saying, I repent, and he kept trying. And each time he was forgiven, even though he was failing time and time and time and time and time again. But see, that's how God is with us. Even when we come back with the same sin again and again, what does God do? He forgives us. The key is that we keep coming back. Repent, he says, and your sins will be forgiven. True repentance is the willingness, the choice, the determination to do it as often as necessary. Now I'm going to confess to you that there are some sins that I have struggled with most of my life. And I have failed so many times that there have been times when I just plain simple wanted to give up and I just wanted to say, I guess I'm always going to be this way. I'll never change. I might as well just get used to this. But that's not repentance. Repentance. That's acquiescence. See, when you truly repent, you're going to try again. it's humbling because you have to keep coming to God to ask for forgiveness. But repentance isn't supposed to be an experience that makes you feel better, that strokes your pride in some way. It's a humbling experience to come to somebody and say, I'm sorry. Some of you may say, well, I have failed so big and so often that I don't deserve forgiveness anymore. Guess what? You didn't deserve forgiveness the first time. You ever stop and think about that? You didn't deserve it the first time. You don't deserve forgiveness even for the littlest sins you commit. They're all offensive to a holy God. I mean, don't make the mistake of thinking that you'll get forgiven when you get good enough... So that God will desi- decide that you're suddenly worthy of his grace. I got good news and bad news. The bad news is you're never worthy of it. And you never ever will be this side of heaven. But the good news is that's why it's called what? Grace. The only way you can receive it is to come humbly for God and ask for his forgiveness. And grace, you know those little G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. What are God's riches? Forgiveness of sins and life and salvation. And they all come at the expense of Christ's suffering death, resurrection, conquering the grave. If you're serious about that, you come back as often as possible. See, the goal is to live a sanctified life. We have justification where we've been made right with God through Jesus Christ. But now what about living a life that kind of reflects that? The goal is to become, well, he says, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy so that we walk in close fellowship with Jesus. I mean, that's what we call ourselves, Christians, little Christs. The goal is to get victory, and that will happen because Jesus promised us victory. Now, I don't know, if you haven't read your whole Bible yet, I I hate to do this. Anybody ever tell you how the book ends? I hate to tell you, but you know, we win. I I read to the end, we win. Sorry to let you in on that, but... Maybe that's good news. We win in the end. But it doesn't always happen immediately because we're sinful. Paul says, prisoners to the law of sin at work within us. See, when you fail, God doesn't want us just merely to feel guilty and do nothing about it. Neither does he want us to make promises that we can't keep. But most of all, he doesn't want us to give up. He, when you fail, he wants you to acknowledge it. That's why we have confession of sins in a church service. He wants you to confess that sin and ask for his forgiveness. He wants you to get back into fellowship with him and to walk with him and include him in every part of your day. And he wants you to just keep on trying no matter how many times you fail. And as many times you have to try, he wants you to try. And as long as it takes, he wants you to keep on coming back, asking for that forgiveness. It's a humbling experience, but like I said before, it leads to victory. The book of James promises that you humble yourself before the Lord. What will happen? He will lift you up. You know, the Bible has so many promises in it. They're like uncashed checks for many people. But what I always teach about promises is that every promise of God has a premise to it. For example, my life versus Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now, what's the promise? He will make straight your paths. How many of you like a straight path through life? I would. Okay, then deal with the premises. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. No, with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. and all your ways, acknowledge him. Aha. What does this one say? James 4.10. He will lift you up. That's the promise. And the premise is, humble yourself before the Lord. Seek his face, seek his grace. Coming to God again and again so that you receive the victory that you seek. That's what real repentance is all about. So I encourage you, repent at every opportunity. I don't know if you can read my tie from back there. My wife would probably tell I've got a tie for just about every sermon I preach. And I apologize if I scared some of you this morning. I haven't worn a robe in 25 years. I think I know where it's at. but This tie says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. John Newton, the pilot of that slave ship where so many died, repented and by God's amazing grace we're saved. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you, we truly do acknowledge our sins. We acknowledge our sinfulness. And we know we come time and time again, but your grace is unlimited. Your grace is always there for us. You tell us that if we confess our sins, you will be faithful and just and quick to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And on that promise we base our hope.